0: Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Bo Burnham, from stand-up comedy to becoming a filmmaker with eighth grade to a starring role in Promising Young Woman. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Happy New Year, guys. Welcome to 2021. We made it. The darkness is behind us. Maybe some darkness ahead. There's always darkness ahead, but more light than dark. Let's all... Hope and pray and make it happen Think positive thoughts as we begin this new year um, We're starting off with a fun one Bo Burnham, first time guest on Happy, Sad, Confused You know him for his fantastic comedy His comedy specials That's sort of where he made his name and, and On YouTube And then, of course, with 8th grade a couple years back He wrote and directed that fantastic film Starring Elsie Fisher I love that movie uh, I got to know Bo a little bit on that silly award circuit He's hard to miss in a crowd, by the way He's like 9 feet tall So, And he's like younger than every other awards nominee, so he was easy to gravitate towards in that year. Um, and I was thrilled to catch up with him again, actually twice in the last year, because I saw him early in the year at Sundance when Promising Young Woman debuted, caught up with him and Carey Mulligan, who is the true centerpiece, by the way. She is the Promising Young Woman at the center of that film. Uh, but Bo has a, a sizable, has he has the leading, leading male role, so good for him. Um, and anyway, I got a chance to catch up with them about that film. And that was a real treat because it really was maybe my favorite film of Sundance. And one of, frankly, my favorite films of 2020. I didn't do the top ten list. Maybe I still will. I'm feeling the peer pressure. We'll see. But it's one of the best films of the last year. A great bit of satire, comedy, black comedy, drama. It's got a little bit of everything. It is definitely its own beast. Very much, I would, I would think if you're going to compare it to anything, I think of the great Gus Van Sant film, To Die For, if you remember that film with Nicole Kidman. I don't want to say too much about the premise because it's got a lot of twists and turns. But Carrie Mulligan basically plays a woman who has been wronged and who feels wronged and is out for revenge against men who have taken advantage of her and other women in her life. And, um yeah, it goes to some dark, unexpected places, but it is is thoroughly entertaining from start to finish. Go in and enjoy everything that promising young woman has to offer, including a great performance from Bo Burnham, good for Bo, who not only, you know, has the chops as a stand-up comedian clearly, and as a filmmaker, but holds his own against Carrie Mulligan, who may be the best actor working today. So that's 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 quite an achievement for Bo. and I'm thrilled that it gave us an opportunity to catch up after nearly a year apart. And um, Bo is nothing if not frank and honest and funny about what this last year has been for him. You know, it's been difficult for him like it's been difficult for most, if not all of us. So um, I always welcome that kind of honesty, especially from somebody as smart and funny as Bo. So I think you guys are going to enjoy this conversation. It's our first really kicking off 2021 in style. So very happy about that other quick things to mention. Stir Crazy. Yes, we've taken a couple weeks off from Stir Crazy on Comedy Central, but fear not, we are back next week. And the guest, I am pleased to say, is the fantastic former guest of Happy Sad Confused, Jane Levy currently starring, of course, on Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, back for season two on NBC. Support that show. It's a great piece of work. And Jane is always fun, and she delivered on this episode of Stir Crazy. That's on next week's episode. Seek it out on Comedy Central's Facebook and YouTube pages. One more thank you I want to mention. We did a special Happy second Confused benefit at the end of 2020. It was just for the, lo- the the folks that bought tickets to the Symphony Space event. No, it will not appear as a podcast. And part of that, the reason for that, guys, I hope you understand, is the whole objective of that was to make some money for some good charities. And we did. We succeeded. So good on you guys. And I have to make it special for the folks that came out for that live event Don't worry, Katrina will be back on the podcast. Of course she will. Of course we'll do silly things. Of course she'll do stir crazy at some point. She is part of the Josh Horowitz Friends and Family Collective, (laughs) so don't worry. Um, But for those of you that did come out, uh, 2,000 plus of you for that live event, um, what a joy. What a thrilling way to end 2020 and raise some money for some good causes. So my heartfelt thanks to all of you. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed hosting it. Um, I guess that's all I want to say, except uh, to say I hope you guys are staying healthy and safe. I hope things are looking up as we begin this new year. I'm filled with optimism and hope and excitement for all that's to come. And um, let's start the the year off with a great conversation with a great actor and filmmaker and writer. He's one of those multi-hyphenates that I would hate if he wasn't so charming and nice and self-deprecating. Here's my conversation with Beau Burnham. Bo Burnham, welcome to the Happy, Sad Confused podcast. We were just saying we, we last saw each other in the before time when everything was good. What happened, though. Yeah, we,
1: well, we, la- we last saw each other in this sort of happy of the, of the version of that. And it's, <laughs> now and we're it's, sad and confused. Yeah, it's sad and confused for, I, I like gentle euphemisms for I think what's going on right now. Like, I think uh, you had to. Yeah. You might need to add a few more slashes. I might have to be happy, sad, confused, yeah,
0: like, t- totally fucked up, and
1: yeah, yeah, depersonalized, yeah, de- dead, <laughs> uh, reborn, dead again.
0: <laughs> I will take this uh, forty minutes of, of distraction with you, though. Hopefully, we'll cheer each other up a little bit amidst this this hellfire. Um, yes, I'm, yes. I'm, I'm curious. What, what was what was this year supposed to be for you, and what did it turn out to be?
1: Well, you know what? Okay, this is a good example. I was supposed to. I was supposed to turn thirty. And I, and I did,
0: but I was, <laughs> I was going to say, with, it was bad, but they didn't destroy your birthday too, did they?
1: I was always, well, I was always like, I never have birthday. I hadn't had a birthday party since I was like 15. And I, right. people always be like, "Have yeah, a birthday. And I was like, I'll have it when I'm 30 and we'll all do something. Aww. And, and then <laughs> it was really sad. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't well, I mean, I, it's silly to talk about obviously the, all of what's happened in the context of my stupid, sure. like you know, privileged life, like I'm I'm having it better than most other people. Yeah. Or most well, other than the, you know, my chemical predisposition to not be able to experience joy.
0: But um. <laughs> that's why that's why we're on the phone together because we, <laughs> we, we share this. Well I was gonna yeah. say, I mean, you've been very open in talking about how you've dealt with anxiety over the years. And I'm curious, like how have you coped in the most collectively stressful year in modern history? Like what have your coping yeah, mechanisms been?
1: You know, it's been, I don't know. It's been, I think I went through the period that other you know, people, anxious people are people with whatever mental health issues. I know people had said like, well, when the world really felt like it was ending, I actually felt great because like, it's like, I'm always worried that the world's going to, I'm always worried that things are going to be bad. So when things really are bad, I kind of have like this sense of calm yeah. and I had, and I had that a little bit, but then it kind of kept going and Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard for everybody. I mean, but I take, I take solace in the fact that, but also I'm sad about the fact that every single person I talk to seems to be in a very particular crisis. Like it's, and like, we're not all in the same crisis. Like my close, like everyone's kind of going through something very specific during this time. And like, we're kind of all, you maybe just united by the fact that we're all going through our own thing. But it's like, it is a deeply like, for many people, it's an actually physic like it's a it's a, it's a time where they're struggling physically or with their health or, I mean, I I'm not having to struggle e- economically, which is the biggest thing that is affecting uh, most people. Yeah. Um, but it's also just like a very psychic time. It's a very, I found it to be very interior psych, and that that's tough for me. I mean, that's just like that's that's not totally easy to deal with because i'm just like i'm the guy that you know is already kind of shut in in his head and now totally. that i'm like encouraged by the government to be in my own head that feels like not the ideal i like it was just even this year i was like you know i need to go out more i need to engage with the world more i need to like be outside and and and, and i uh and, and then so there's just a kind of a sick irony to all of that
0: well, and then there was all the like the expectations that the different people brought to the year in terms of like this is the year to kind of get to the projects i never got to or or like self-improve and whatever and for me it's like we're all just trying to survive this year 2020 chalk it up as just like the year to just make it out alive and hopefully yeah. make it out with your loved ones alive let's not put this etch- extra you know weight on our shoulders to also like get to the screenplay you always wanted to write like if you do great god bless but um this is, this is a once in a generation moment.
1: um. Well, yeah. And hopefully like this, this, this moment really also like kind of breaks down the sort of like puritanical individualism of our culture of just like that mindset where we're all just trying to make our own thing. Mm. And we're all just trying to you know better ourselves and better our own careers right. like that's how we get in a position where this happens where things go wrong and we realize like oh there's no social safety net there's no sense of community there's no sense of like we take care of each other i mean this moment more than anything hasn't proved that like th- what this moment doesn't doesn't need right now is more screenplays <laughs> it means means <No. laughs> like hearing about each other and yeah more communal out for each other exactly yeah health services and and yeah. and and providing for people so that, you know, I don't know. It's just like, so it's, all, so, and, so, and, 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 and also that has happened this year, which is nice to see is like a real, I think social awakening towards like, you know, some sort of common interests. No, no totally, oh.
0: totally. Your, your dog agrees. Yes. Uh, <laughs> like, you go, Bo. Um, so, so I'm curious. You know, go, going to the more superfluous, kind of silly, but but important career stuff, which is partially what we're here to talk about. I mean, you know, I, I first started to talk to you a couple of years back when eighth grade was just everywhere, and I'm I'm mm. curious. You know, now you've got promising young woman, where you're you're starring alongside Carrie Mulligan. At the end of the eighth grade saga, the the, mm-hmm. the the long road that that was, and it was a glorious kind of road for you, when you put the, the tux in the closet for the final time, did you have mm. a clear idea of like what was next of what you wanted to prioritize, what you wanted to be, what you want to pursue?
1: No, no, not really. And I've, I've always kind of had like a weird, like a, a weird just kind of impulse to like start all over all the time. Um, I even had kind of convinced myself like after eighth grade, I'm like, okay, I'm a filmmaker now. You know what I mean? And then I kind of go like, ah, I don't know. Maybe I'm not, I, I don't really quite know. I, I just get not bored. That sounds like, that sounds like fucking so annoying, but I, I just get kind of antsy or I, like, I, I get very engaged by doing new things. That's like, that is what I, get excited by is, mm-hmm. is trying something that I haven't really done. So I didn't quite know, you know, I had signed up to like write these songs for the Sesame street movie. Right. Cause it felt like, Oh, that's something that's like, I really have to challenge myself. I haven't done that. And then the idea of acting was really exciting. Cause like, I haven't really to really just like give myself to someone else's vision, um, like Emerald's vision and, and just try to act. But um, eighth grade was also like very, very special. And for me and, and is like, I'm definitely not someone that's like, I mean, it would have been great. I had like, you know, all this momentum that's like in the, in the industry doesn't exist for very long and in, in you know, independent film, like yeah. uh, um, where I could have, you know, got another movie going and attached stars or who cares. But like, it just felt like, no, that movie worked because it really, it kind of was a story I felt like I just absolutely had to tell. And there's kind of a painful part of the creative process for me, where it's like, you kind of just have to be patient and yep. like, you, I, for me, I have to wait until it's like an idea that is so, so important to me and so, so meaningful to me that I will take a year and a half or two years to, to make it, you Boy. know, as opposed to, you know, like after eighth grade, people
0: wanted me to do that, Oh, direct this thing with these kids or whatever. And it's like, yeah, you, you suddenly get into kind of like that, that, that every two year directing maybe someone else's material that's. Sure, you connect with them on some level, but that's just a, that's a different path, and and maybe maybe your path is once every five or six years when the muse strikes, you get the 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 project that you that you feel so passionate about. You can't do anything else, and maybe yeah, and I and I don't
1: fe- and I don't really feel like some great functional director. I probably am not like a great hired guy. Like I think like the re if if eighth grade worked, the reason it worked was because of how invested I was in it and passionately about it I I passionate about it I was so it's like and it's just kind of the only way I can work it's like the only way I can really work or not really the only way but like it's like this weird thing with career stuff where it's like You're always looking forward. You're always trying to build and get bigger and oh, make make a bigger thing or make. And it's like, and I could try to be like, okay, I made it. I mean, eighth grade was a small move, very small budget. And it's like, oh, I could try to make a bigger one next. And it's like, but at a certain point, I have to look around and go like, wait, I'm actually, I've kind of arrived at the place where I wanted to be at, which is I can kind of do, I can kind of in theory do what I want next. So
0: let's just let's just do that as opposed to, I don't know, still trying to build a moment. Like the idea of. Yeah, what are you building I, towards when, like, you've already made something that you personally love and others love? Like, that's the aspiration. If you can make five more, if you can make one more of those, if you don't make another one of those, that's great. Like, I mean, you've already kind of yeah, done it. Uh, yeah, that's nice.
1: Yeah, and I really, I genuinely, I find, like, momentum, career momentum to be stifling. I, like, yeah. don't actually like it. And, like, I think I best, I best operate from a place of, like, having something to prove. That's what I always kind of want to feel like. Like when I made all my specials, even when I was doing stand up, it was like, oh my God, I was so embarrassed by the material I made when I was 16. So I had to make it when I was 19. And then when I was 23, I was like, I'm so embarrassed by that. Oh my God. That comedy was so bad when I was 19. And then when eighth grade came around, it was like, all right, everyone knows me as this stupid like musical YouTube guy or like, so like I have to make this movie to like be substantial. And then, even then that worked. And it's like, okay. Yeah. So it's just, I'm much, I'm, I think I'm much better from, a. yeah, I don't really want to be like the, I don't really want to be like an established guy or anything. I don't, (laughs) I don't, I don't don't think that I'd work well from
0: there. Well, yeah, and the next kind of mountain to, to climb, I guess, and, and challenge was to establish yourself a, more in the acting space. And, and, you know, to your credit, I mean, Promising Young Woman is, is truly one of, if not my favorite movie movies of the year. And you, you more than hold your own against arguably the best, you know, actor in the business, Carrie Muller. Oh, that's
1: nice. Well, it's funny because, you know, it's so funny. So with, act, like with acting, I really am not, I mean, I'm not trying to become anything, you know, I don't like that. What's nice is that I'm like, I'm less like personally invested in acting. So it can just be kind of, I can kind of engage with it in a in a slightly fun and more confident way than the other stuff because it isn't as loaded with me. Like, honestly, like if I did this movie and, you know, everyone just thought like, Jesus, what the hell is he doing on screen? Like it would have been embarrassing, but it would have been like, all right, okay, I'll go do something. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So it's like, I, I, I I'm lucky to not have to, you know, fully rely on, my acting career as my future, because um, I don't think I would have one if, if that was my future, but- But um,
0: but I can get the worst feeling to feel like you don't want to be in a scene and disappoint the director. Those exactly, exactly. So, so, I mean, did you get to a place pretty early on where you felt like you had a place at the table and could, could hold your own against Carrie and, and not disappoint it, yourself and others?
1: Well, not really. No. I mean, well, the good thing is at least the scenes kind of integrated that feeling pretty easily because the scenes are just about like me trying to constantly impress her and being worried that I'm not impressing her. So like I could kind of like channel all of what was actually going through my head into the scenes. Right. Um, but it was, it, no, it was very funny just though to go from like having directed a bunch of actors, you know, work with them to then being an actor and being like, oh my God, I am a needy actor that needs to, like, be, qu- like, I-, I was just, like, I could, I never was on the set thinking of myself as a director. I was never thinking of anything other than thinking, like, oh, my God, if I was dealing with myself, and, like, if if I had an actor that was being like I'm being, I'd be, like, dude, just shut up and do it, and, you know, I mean? just, like, like, so were you asking after a take? Like, was that good? Or are you? No, no. It's or just or like, well, no, I'm just like in my own head. And it's just like right, funny right. to be like, okay, like this gives me at least empathy for actors that go crazy. Like I, I totally, totally get why actors are insane. Like, of course, you know, big movies are like, yeah, they're overpaid. They're over. But it's like, there is something like psychically violating and, insane about being in front of a camera. It's just like the eye of God and the devil staring at you, like immortalizing you and taking your soul. It is just like, (laughs) it's just, it's just naked. And and a film can't, just, it's naked in a way that... you know like if you make a film it's like oh they didn't like my film okay but if like when when people don't like your acting it's like they didn't like your face and kind of just how you were
0: which is like that's kind of brutal. The ultimate rejection not to mention you had some challenging stuff in this you had to do the the artful dance of montage acting. Oh my yeah exactly just real (laughs) Eisenstein shit (laughs) Has has Paris Hilton Stars Are are Blind gotten a bump yet uh, on the the charts? Do we know I
1: I, I hope so I mean I hope we get like a vinyl like re release or something but I think it's a pretty I always said like it's like the lyric like stars are blind is like some chilling like T.S. Eliot shit like it really it really is like wow and I, I think the movie kind of reclaims that aesthetic kind of reclaims like yeah this like aesthetic that people dismiss as girly and thin and decorative is actually kind of meaningful and deep if you actually listen to it I mean a lot of that kind of pop music when you actually listen to the lyrics you're like Oh, this is this is actually kind of more deep and right. stark than I thought it was.
0: The um the film, I mean, I guess getting back to, to Sundance when it first screened, and as more people have seen it, I wouldn't say it's like polarizing, but certainly there have been some along some gender lines, some differences uh, of how the people are interpreting it. And to me, it feels a little silly. It's like if you're if you're a dude in 2020 and you don't recognize that our gender has performed rampant toxicity for the, in the beginning of time, then maybe you need a reality check. Um, yeah, well,
1: I mean, if it wasn't, but yeah, but if the film wasn't divisive, I think it wouldn't be, then, then it just means it, it's not actually
0: engaging with what's going on. No, Because like fair. what's yeah. going
1: on is divisive. So I would hope that, you know, it's tapping into that conversation.
0: Does the material, reading a script, performing this kind of material, make you kind of reassess your own toxicity your own, and we've all, you know, been there to various degrees. Well, definitely, definitely. I mean, and and that was,
1: yeah, definitely. And it's, I, I think the important thing the movie does is like cast a very wide net in terms of like showing the different levels of culpability and like how actually gradient it is that it really fades all the way to the littlest possible thing. That it isn't like some clear line in the sand where these guys are bad and these guys are good. And like, if you self-identify as a good guy, you're probably the first one that should self-examine, right? Because like, you're the one that seems that thinks you're above uh, criticism. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's like I, I, it, it did, and like, and 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 like, there were things in the script with the other guys that like resonated with me. I was like, oh my god, like ro- like recognizing myself, like Christopher Insblot, like talking about consider the lobster. I'm like, oh Jesus, you know what I mean? Like, like I can like totally identify with all of that. And that's, what's fun and funny about the script too, is that it like, it really does kind of, I think, give an accurate portrayal of, of the, it's not, it's not just certain type of men. It's not like it's the way men are when they're trying to impress women. That's what's right. funny is that it's not like, it's like, it It really exposes like the the performance of like heterosexual male courtship mm-hmm. as, as very ridiculous and like goofy and, and funny until it's not until right. it's all of us until it's very not, so um,
0: yeah, I mean yes, it's, yes. It's, it's also interesting to me that like you know you know most of the men in, in this film are are reckoning or being forced to reckon with these kind of you know mistakes of various degrees in, in their past um, and and not to equate your your life because certainly you haven't done the things that the guys in this one have done, mm. but you've been very open and even in this in this conversation of sort of like reckoning with the early material of of Mm. your career and like from the Mm. beginning like going back like i listened back to your like mark marin conversation which was like you were like 21 or something at the time or even then you were apologizing for stuff (laughs) like at 17 so it's like that's your dna this is like right up your alley yeah oh totally yeah i mean it just it
1: yeah just sort of well it was kind of just a product of the way i started which is just like you know i started at 16 and then so like the person you are at 16, 19, 21, 25, you know, so it's like this conversation that's really kind of peaked these last couple of years about like, whatever it means, whatever you call it, cancellation, whatever, whatever accountability, whatever that is like, I think it's a thing that younger people, people my age and younger really have been wrestling with for a while, which is that because like our lives and like the, the roadmap to the person we currently are is just accessible online. Right. And it's like, and it's like an embarrassing roadmap for most of us. I know for me, it really is like it, like, I wish I could have some like spotless oeuvre that just was just like totally self-contained and like told a coherent, you know, moral story, but it just isn't. I mean, I was like a 17 year old kid in 2007, trying to be funny at like the peak of
0: like family guy. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like pretty embarrassing shit. And not to mention the complication that, that that's, that's what earned you fame that's what got you where you were that material exactly
1: exactly <laughs> is that it actually worked
0: but I also I always knew even when I was young
1: even when I was 16 I knew that like I'm not as good as I can be like the whole like I, I know I'm going to be better at this so even though this is working like I have to get better like I, I want to get I'm, I'm still a kid I don't know what I'm really doing yet and right. um, that's sort of been like my yeah my whole life has sort of just been like creatively like putting stuff out to be like, no, no, no. Sorry. Sorry for everything I said before. Actually, I mean this. Sorry for everything. Actually, I mean that. And it's like, the hope is that we can allow for that change one, but that also it doesn't, but also that when people ask for that change, people don't get so defensive because it's like comedians, especially, I think it happens with older comedians. They're just so defensive about this stuff and like, so defensive about reexamining their previous work and it's just like what i mean like things are changing in comedy ages like milk it just does it just like like you watch like a comedy from the 90s you're like jesus christ like you go like wow i did not realize how actually insane some of this was so
0: should I not go back and watch your work in Hall Pass? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, I don't
1: remember. I might have been good in
0: that. Um, I think I just, I just, I was just a, I was a
1: bartender at 18. Like, I think I gave a shot to Owen Wilson. That's what I did. But uh, yeah, I never really thought about that in terms of that this movie kind of deals with that too. But yeah, it is, it is, it is, you're right. It is about something even bigger than just the topic of sexual assault, but just like the way in which we all sort of contend with our, our past yeah and it's going to get increasingly difficult going forward just because now as we go forward just like what's going to happen in 30 years when the people running for president we have everything they've said since they were 15 or you know you mean it's like we're going to have to figure out
0: how to how to move forward I have a small confession to make, to Bo. The first time I kind of encountered your work or knew of you, like, you know, part of my gig for many years has been working for MTV for a yes, long, yes. long while. And you had an MTV show back in the day. Hell yeah. yeah. And and I had the instinctual, you know, again, maybe self-hating kind of reaction of hating anybody that had an MTV show, because you can I I can't respect anybody that actually works for MTV. And I say that somebody that works for MTV. <laughs> Did you have the same kind of I mean, I, I don't know, what was your experience at MTV like? Because that was kind of a again, kind of a self-reflexive show dealing with what some of the issues that you were dealing with. Um, did you feel like you were able to kind of create what you wanted or were you put through the meat grinder? What was your...
1: ah? Well, it was partly, well, part of it was like, hey, I'm going to go into like, you know, pardon the term. I mean, this—it's a whole different regime, so no one will care. But yeah, I was yeah. like, I'm gonna go, co- I'm gonna go into the belly of the beast and talk about all these issues about like kids and the relationship to fame, my age, you know, people my age, the relationship to attention and fame. And then I got in, and I was like, oh shit, I'm in the belly of the beast. What am I doing <laughs> in here? Like it, wow, it stinks. <laughs> but but you know, we had some nice executives that actually really did enjoy and really understood the show. And what stuck is that there was just a complete regime change when we finish the show right and just new people came in and that thing just happened where they they didn't really understand the show it wasn't theirs and so they kind of just dumped it on a saturday and that's like that's fine i mean it was fine i like i i really hold no animosity towards anyone there and and they're just doing their job and you know it's like yeah. um there's no criticism i have of mtv that doesn't apply to basically every form of media in existence you know exactly. the, like the, the real really unique and about the, mtv in that. Yeah, regard. yeah yeah oh my god like the real the damage being done to all of us by just like media and i just mean i don't mean like media like i'm some like you know maga person talking about like <laughs> i mean every form of media i mean like the Every picture on the wall, every advertisement in the street, just like this thing that we've all just been, at least I have been marinating in for 30 years of my life, just images and videos and pictures. It's just like the totality of that damage that is being done just to like the psychic, just like my subjective experience of the world that I'm just sort of kind of waking to. That is, I think, what all my stuff is kind of... yeah trying to see from different angles is like what what is this doing to us and it and it, and it, and it and it all kind of becomes inward facing because it's of course I'm making media about sort of my fraught relationship with it, so that's that's sort of um and I think promising a woman is about it in some ways because promising a woman really does play with this idea of like movie tropes of like what a like what have movies done in their representation of hookups or in the representation of like a comedy where a drunk girl stumbles out of a bar or a comedy where guys wake up to a dead stripper you know like that like all like the movie really examines like which i believe firmly that like the representation of things in film really do inform the way they play out in real life. That the first time I went to a college party, I thought, oh man, this is like Animal House. You know what I mean? So sure. the things that were funny in that movie, I then think are permissible in that frat house. Like, oh, oh that guy's not being an asshole to that girl.
0: He's being John Belushi. He's being fun. Right. Uh, well, uh, let's go back to the good old days before media saturation turned all of our minds and souls in, into um, toxic wastelands. Uh, let's talk so about the I'm movies. Talk talking about the Gutenberg press that we're talking about <laughs> back in the 15th yeah, it, yeah
1: exactly
0: <laughs> I right, just pre That that's what it was <laughs> I'm so in it that I was thinking Steve Gutenberg for at first so I got really good <laughs> that's <people. hilarious>, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> before Police Academy there was something before then um, but I did ask you for a comfort movie because I've been asking most of my guests for this oh, in yeah, crazy yeah. times and um, I'm just curious before we get to your, your selection um, tell me sort of like where you're your movie sensibilities were as a kid? What were your, who were your guys? Who were your girls? Who, who were you fascinated by? What were you, what were you the posters? Well, you
1: honestly, by? like I was not, I was not like raised, my father just watched Con Air and Armageddon every day, like genuinely. <laughs> so that's like sort of, <laughs> that's sort of the <laughs> cultural atmosphere that I was raised in. So it was like a lot of like, I mean, it was like genuine, like dumb and dumber. I mean, like Jim Carrey, like, oh, you know I mean? I loved Jim Carrey as a kid. I love Sandler. So it's just like a lot of comedies, Tommy Boy. I mean, that's like, like if I'm being real on it, like that's, that's yeah. why I was as a kid. It wasn't until I saw like, I think like One floor of the Cuckoo's Nest was the first movie I saw that made me go like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, what is this thing with these people acting like this? And it, like it felt so alive in a way that was just like, stunning to me but as a kid it was very i just think very very basic like i loved like men in black and independence like i love will smith like, he was the coolest person in the world like and i think i cherish that i cherish the fact that like i grew up just with very i think very basic normal sort of cultural interests because like even comedy like stand-up i i like stand-up comedy as a form because it is very it's meant to be like a, a, like a medium of the people. You know what I mean? Really, it's yep. meant to like communicate to like real people. That's like, I do want to do that. I do want to like, uh, you know, I'm not just trying to make like, you know, indecipherable stuff for like 12 really cool yeah. people.
0: You're not doing um, New Yorker cartoons necessarily.
1: Yeah, and, and no, and it's not because like, I mean, I wish I could do that. I mean, I also, I I, I, I might just, I don't think I'm like skilled or smart enough to do that, but it's like, I, I enjoy- uh, yeah. Part of me, like, I want to make stuff that my brother loves and my sister loves. And, you know, uh, it, it, I, I really value my connection to, to like, yeah, just like normal sort of cultural interests. The, Brit- the British office is probably the most formative actual thing for me in some ways, right. even though it's a TV show. Like, I know people overstate that, but I, I watch that like once a year. And that's probably, that probably had like the biggest effect on even eighth grade was that movie, just that, that style of performance, that, that sort of this, the thing that's gotten lost, I think, in all the adaptations of the, of the British office and all of its forms in America, like, and not just the office, but every form is just like, yeah, just the the particular relationship of people to a camera, the way a camera changes a room, right? Really specifically the way a camera changes people, which is like. That to me is like one of the central questions that we have to, and the, and the more we've forgotten about cameras in rooms, the more we need to examine that question, the more normalized they've
0: become. It also, um, like the film you chose, revels in, in discomfort um, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the best possible way. So on the movie side, you didn't go with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, uh, as, as comforting as Milos Forman's work can be. Uh, you went with uh, one of Christopher Guest's best, uh, what was your pick? I went with Best in Show, which is so funny. I just I didn't even realize until this
1: conversation that like, oh, right, like Jennifer Coolidge is in Promising a Woman. Like, I didn't even think of the connection of, because I mean, Jen is, Jennifer is like, like absolutely one of the highlights of that movie and one of the highlights of Promising a Woman. I think she's brilliant in it. Yeah. But like, um, yeah, well, well, it's funny. Best in Show is similar to one flow of the cuckoo's nest in just being like as robust and impenetrable an ensemble as is like possible. Right. Like just, just actually how across the board, incredible everyone is. And it is like, um, yeah, just,
0: just truly kind of mind blowing. Do you, do you remember when, when or how you first kind of started saw it or, or became obsessed yeah, with so it? So I
1: first saw it up in like my grandmother's like little she lives in like a little cabin in maine i'm from massachusetts so she, that, that my family my mother's side of the family is up in maine and i went up there i must have been it must have been around when it came out so i was like 10 or 11 right and there was a vhs of it and me and my cousin watched it and i just thought i i just never ever seen anything that funny in my entire life and there's like there's and there's like with best in show like it was similar the, when I watched the British office of waking up to that, but like there, there, there are sort of levels of the levels of that comedy that you kind of only get a repeated viewing. It's like, obviously the first time you watch it, you're, you're, it's like Fred Willard is what you're really, really. Cause he's just like, it's also unbelievable of, of like dramatically like how late into that film he shows up, I, how right. late he, to show up that late into a film that is already that good and somehow steal the movie is, is so uh, impressive. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just watched it really recently. Like Parker Posey is is unbelievable. Catherine O'Hara is unbelievable, obviously. Obviously Eugene Levy. And j- just recently I was really particularly mar- marveling when I saw the reason I had Catherine O'Hara of her in that film. Amazing. Um, yeah. she- She's across the board just is so, wonderful. I'm so glad, I haven't watched Shits Creek, but I'm, I'm, it's like really amazing to see her kind of, and Eugene kind of really get like a rousing cultural response, like the, 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 the overdue, like, totally coronation culturally that they, that they deserve, because they are just, you know, I mean, like iconic, all time great comedic performers that and like and that's like a thing that's really dying out like we don't have those performers anymore we don't have and it's another thing like we don't have comedy really substantial like straight up comedies anymore no. and this is the conversation i have with everybody all the time like everything's a dramedy every, even eighth grade people were like i'm like eighth grade's not a comedy like if i like i mean it's funny there's funny moments but like Trust me, if I try to make a funny movie, it'll be funnier than eighth grade. It'll be funnier. I'm like, (laughs) eighth grade, like, I won't, if I try to make a funny movie, it's not going to like, be that serious as A3 was no, like.
0: It's true that there aren't the the the, um, the Christopher Guest movies, even the Farrelly brothers back in oh, the day, totally. Mel Brooks. I mean,
1: McK- just, even even
0: McKay's stuff of like
1: stepbrothers. We, we lost
0: McKay now. McKay's gone to dr- dramedy. I love his new stuff, but like he, yeah. I mean, that's a guy that can work on that level just of absurdity that is just genius. I know. Um, and you know what? And it's why it's
1: honestly like, you know, like, I'm saying Sandler's holding it down like it like you watch through exactly Sandler true. movies it's like you know what these movies are trying to be funny they are just trying to be funny and like I watched Hubie Halloween and I was laughing <laughs> I was really laughing I was like it's just like it's so refreshing to see something that is really just trying to make you laugh right because like rather than like also trying to do all this other stuff it's like gosh like. And that's what's, I mean, like, Besson's show is just so, and it's amazing because you can also, it can it can also be read politically, it can be read as this, like, hilarious indictment of just, like, brain-dead white people that are so, like, <laughs> insulated, they like, from the, like, pain of the world that they're just, like, worried about competing their own, like, purebred dogs it's like it is so all there's there's all it is like biting and smart in a way that it never has to stay but right. it's like it. it is such a just a breezy funny comfort and it, and it's movies like that with that type of performance that is like kind of just existing on the edge of um of of spontaneous and improvised that i feel like i can watch multiple times because There's just so much subtlety to enjoy. You know, a a pick that I was almost going to say, am I just talking? No, no, this is good. Um, I almost wanted, it was hilariously, I wanted to almost put let them all talk as (sighs) my comfort pick, even though it came (laughs) out two weeks ago. Cause it's like the first movie that I've watched. Like I watched it twice in like a day and I haven't done that in a long, long time. And I, that movie similar is just like, there's a certain warmth to a type of performance for me that that is spontaneous that feels spontaneous It's something i tr- really tried to get in eighth grade where it's like it's a type of performance you can never get twice you can never get that type of line read twice and it's just like it's on the edge of falling apart at any moment that is just like really beautiful to me because the more the more ca- the more we have cameras in our face 24/7 the more everyone's on instagram or twitter take a so trying to present themselves, the more like, it's like TikTok. Like when you see TikTok and you, you realize like, oh, the stuff that goes viral there are, are these like weird human moments that kids capture. Like they captured their their mother like tripping and spilling a dinner all over the place. Or like, like those moments that go viral on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok, which are these like little, because the fact that everyone's filming stuff all the time, they capture these little human moments that could never have happened of like, I don't know, some raccoon standing on the porch, like knocking on the glass
0: or something. It's like. Right. Um, well, and the yeah. funny thing that you mentioned, I mean, for Let the mall Talk, which is coincidentally also on HBO Max, guys, you're selling HBO Max subscriptions today, Bo. Uh, Best in Show's on there too. Oh so they, yeah, they, hell they, yeah. They, but, they, but they both were approached in, in, in a similar way um, in, that, in that they both are very heavily improvised films. I mean, Best in Show, infamously, the story is that there's the 16 page kind of outline for that film um Soderbergh was actually just on the podcast I was talking to him about let them all talk as well and similarly he had an outline essentially and, and, and had a direction for his actors um, you know as you well know you know having been even a part of the Apatow world like there's that been that push and pull in the last 15-20 years between like improv and script and like maybe leaning Maybe too heavily on improv. When well, you, that's the thing is, yeah. well, well, it's a certain type of improv. I mean, is leave to he- maybe lean
1: too heavily. It's just I don't like directionless improv, where it feels like you're riffing, trying to find like a joke rather than like let them all talk. They are always riffing in character on and dynamic. serving that story exactly. Yeah. It, Exactly. and The story becomes like the really subtextual relationship between people where one is more successful or has more money or is better off or like this, how the subtext of people's relationships plays in the stuff that you would never think to write. There are so many moments in Let Them All Talk that are like these human counterintuitive moments that you would never ever write in a script because it wouldn't read right. But then when someone does it, it's like, it's like that incredible moment in the beginning of Let Them All Talk with the first scene of Lucas Hedges and he's at the billiard days and he's playing pool with his friends. And he does like a weird, like, Hah! he does like a scream to his friends that like, it may have been Lucas just like screwing up a line or right. just like, but it's just, it's like that, that just absolutely like that, that, that type of like lightning moment that only can happen spontaneously. And I wish that like, the word improv wasn't such a dirty word. Cause I feel like people say that they say a movie's improv and then they feel like, oh, well it's nothing. And like, I feel like the, the actors in let them all talk are not getting credit because people think they're acting or they're improving so it's easy. And it's like, no, it's not, it's not like that. It's, it, it, it's, it's way more difficult than that to be open and human in that way on, on screen. So I, I wish that improv, performances that used improv were given more credit. And it's not like Meryl Streep improvised her way onto a boat. It wasn't, she was like, hey, uh, let's go to that cruise ship. And they were like, okay, I guess we're doing it. Everyone follow (laughs) Meryl. But yeah, it's like, I I just think, yeah. So it's like, I I almost wish they didn't tell everyone it was improvised because I feel like people would have given the performances way more.
0: Wouldn't have given them their due if they didn't, you know, get clouded by that dirty word. Where where are you at right now in terms of your attitude about performing, whether it's, it's acting or stand-up? Is stand-up even in your mind at all? Or to, to you, is that a closed chapter in your life?
1: Um, no, it's not closed. Um, I mean, well, there's the logistic closing to it. Well, sure. For sure. But um, no, I mean, I'm open to it. Um, I mean, it's all about just, for me, like, it's motivated by wanting to say something and then like, where's the best place to say this. Right. Um, um, and there certainly is, you know, something that I was maybe more uh, terrified of now that it's been, now that it's really been taken away from me has become, you know, maybe appealing again, but um, <laughs> right. yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. I don't know. It's, it's a strange time and, you know, a strange way to engage with the world. It's also, it's very tough to to offer when it feels just like the world is just drowning in opinion and drowning in commentary to feel like you're going to be additive when when it feels like the most additive thing would actually be subtracting from it in some sort of way. Well, it
0: does feel like, frankly, like since eighth grade, like you're not really on social media at all. It's yeah. like, I, you know, I search deadline. It's not like there are like four different Bo Burnham stories. You're kind of laying low mm-hmm. and doing your thing. And um, there's nothing wrong with that, except it's just like it's not the norm <laughs> in the industry where people sometimes like, kind of feel this impulse to, to be seen constantly, to be, uh, you know, even in a year where no one's actually out and about, they're finding ways to TikTok or Instagram or, or make themselves feel relevant. And it's clearly... And to your credit, I don't think you have that inner, you know, thirst. Um, yeah, well, no, I, I, I might probably, I think I, I
1: mean, I'm probably, I have thirst. I mean, I'm definitely a thirsty, but it's just like, I mean, I've also, I started too young. So I've, I've. I've had,
0: you I've got been, some of that he, out of your system a little earlier than most.
1: <laughs> or not even that. It's just that I've been around too long. I realize that like I've been around too long for half of my life now in some way. And I, and I, and I realized that like, I, I would understand anyone at any point getting tired of me. So I feel like I, sh- I am only, I've really decided I only want to engage with the world when I have something to really put out there. Like, I really think we need to like talk more about like our cultural emissions, not just our physical emissions. And it's like, I, I'm not really going to, you're only going to hear from me when I have something that I've really, really worked very hard on and think is worthy of your attention. I mean, the thing that I just think is really, really strange when I see like comedians or whatever, it's like, just like on Twitter commenting on every single thing that happens every day. Right. And then it's like, and then you wanna put out a special or then you wanna put out a mo- It's like, well, who cares? Like, It's just like, who, who cares? Oh, I've, I've, I've been hearing from you this entire time. And, and like, uh, yeah, it's strange, it's strange. It's also like, I, I really think the only way to, for me to make stuff is is in silence. You know, I can't like, I have to.
0: You don't need everybody as a, as a sounding board, everybody weighing in on, on your, your Sesame Street development deal. Yeah, exactly. Or, or just going like, trying out an idea here,
1: trying, I mean, I get the impulse. I I get the impulse. It's just, uh, it's, um, I don't know. Well, I also think at a certain age, it's like, all right, guys, like, cool off. We're like, we're too old to be doing this. Like, let, let, let the kids have the internet now. Like, they should be the ones, like, <laughs> making all the stuff. I think, like, right. at, a, at a certain point, I just feel like, nah, I'm getting to the age where it's just like, nah, I, I work and I present stuff. I'm not, like, out there, you know, spinning around every day.
0: Well, it must be a relief in some ways having turned 30 that, like, as somebody that's been, so, like, the narrative of your life has always yeah. been about how young he was, how young yeah, he is. Yeah, exactly. You're a legit adult. Like, Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's over. Yeah, it's like, exactly. It's like, it's not impressive
1: anymore. The, the, <laughs> well, like, so, that's like not,
0: so it's like, that's not exactly no, no, but being, mean, yeah. no, but I mean,
1: no, but it. I mean, it's like, it is, it is. It's like a total relief to just be like, okay, now I can just, and I've always wanted to do that. I mean, that's what I actually want to do. I'd rather just be the guy that pops up every two years and releases something and also like I am genuinely very happy with my level of recognition, which is very minimal and would not want any more of it. Like I don't want to be any more known than I am, which I know is very stupid as I'm like promoting a film that I'm in. But like, (laughs) but like, I just mean like, that is not something I need to, I feel like I've built enough whatever um, that I can like, justify making my next thing. And that's all I really care about. It's just the ability to make things. Yeah. And uh, genuinely I, yeah, it's just like, what, what does engaging with the cult, what does engaging on Twitter, all that stuff do other than just like, I don't know. I, I don't know what it does for me. Um, well, you're,
0: you're it also the... makes
1: me sick to my stomach. Like if I go <laughs> on Twitter, I just, I like, I just, <laughs> it makes me
0: want to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, you're nothing if not an engaging set of paradoxes, uh, Bo Burnham. Uh, that's part of why I always enjoy chatting with you. Um, I appreciate it. <laughs>
1: um, and it's also, it's important for me to like, I want to kind of, in the corniest way, give like a roadmap to, a, a, a potential version of a roadmap to younger people right. going up. Because I would go like, man, if I was young trying to make stuff, I would be so confused and I want to tell people like, you know, you don't, it's not just about self-promotion. It isn't just about having to be out there all the time, selling yourself, you know, like you also can take the time to just work and not worry about just, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't know how to, how to start now. I feel very guilt. I feel, I feel bad for people coming up now. And I, and I,
0: well, in that case, then I'm happy to say that maybe it'll be two years before we catch up again. You can, you can suffer and create your art in silence and not <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> feel, feel the, the horrors of Twitter like I do because I'm a fool, um, and, uh, and, but I, I do look forward to- catching- No, but, but, but the thing is truly that you're doing yeah. the right thing. I mean, it's like, there should be people like you. There should be commentators. There
1: should be that. It just, like, should, it's just like, it's, it's not everyone's job to do no. your job. That's my point. It's like for a particular type of people that do your job. It shouldn't be the thing everyone does. Right.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Well, happy to say that a promising young woman has brought us together, not once, but twice in this insane year. Um, Congratulations on it, man. Honestly, it is one of the best films I've seen in in quite some time and you're excellent in it. And um, I hope everybody checks it out. And and I hope we can keep talking as the years go by is, you know, I'm excited. I, I love your career in that, you know, as you openly have said throughout, like, you're not going to be in stasis, certainly. You're always going to be mixing it up and trying stuff. And um, and that's an exciting uh, an exciting path to be on. So thanks for your time, dude. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks, Josh. I, I hope we talk soon. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't supposed <laughs> to do this by Josh. <laughs>